Welcome to City Life Church Podcast. Our desire is that all may come to know Christ and fulfill their purpose in life. We welcome you to head over to our website for more information. God bless you and enjoy the message. Uh, We're going to hit the road running in 2019. Can you believe it? Man, the years go on. And uh, I thought the Lord was coming back in the year 2000. I made a pact with my other grandmother, not Mabel Passus, but the other one, that we would dance in the year 2000 together and then the Lord would take us home. Well, she's already with the Lord and we're still here on earth, 2019. So it's great to be here, refreshed. As Steve said, we're on holidays, so if I'm all over the place, I ask you to forgive me. But what I do pray is that something would be imparted today that you'll at least take home despite all my frailties and potential errors. But hopefully the heart of what we have to say today will really bless this precious congregation where I've visited this place a bunch of times and even see someone in the restroom and I knew the face and couldn't remember the name, but Chris Ramez, I reckon when I was a little kid, maybe you were here. How many years have you been here? (laughs) That's why I knew the face. (laughs) So thank you to Chris and everybody else for having us today, and it's just a real pleasure to be here. As Steve mentioned, we're from a town called Shepparton, which is it's like a, a rural town, two hours away from the big city. We've got about 35,000, maybe 50,000 total in our region, so, and we grow fruit and you know, do milking and all that sort of stuff. So we're in that kind of a, an area, so it's not 100% different to here, maybe a little bit of a similar feel. And we're from a church that grew in 19, uh, started in 1975 in my, lo- my parents' lounge room. So it was an amazing church. It was me and my little sister, my mum and my dad and three weirdos. And that's how we started the church. Might be similar to yours. <laughs> and from that, we've grown slowly but surely. And I guess that's a little bit of my message today is I'm not here to tell you we have you know, a church of 5,000 people and we're changing the world in our little part of the world. I don't have that message, but the message today hopefully is one that's relatable to you, is that slow and steady does win the race and we can impact our community in amazing ways, even though we may not be as big as some of the big churches. And, and certainly in my country, you all probably have heard of Hillsong, a big church with a lot of impact and God bless them for what they're doing, but I'm never going to be that church. And perhaps you're never going to be that church either. But I know that there's so much encouragement for the rest of us in the calling that we have on our lives. So my mum and dad planted our church, uh, like I said, in 1975. And as Steve mentioned, I had no intention of going into the ministry, but it chased me down and caught me. And I'm so glad it did. I wouldn't be doing anything else but serving the Lord full time. It's such a blessing. So I just wanted to share a little bit of our story, and hopefully it's, it's interesting to you. Our lineage comes from here. And I was thinking about the power of multiplication. You know, like my mum, she comes from Lacey, Washington. She immigrated to Australia in 1966. So that's a long time ago. What's that? Over 50 years ago. So she's more Australian than she is American, even though she has a US passport. And, he, and I have a US passport too. Her accent is still American, but she eats Vegemite. And uh, <laughs> as an example that she's more Australian, you can't eat that unless you're Australian. But uh, you know, she married my father, who's a barefooted, tattooed New Zealander. 
And if you know my family background, and the reality is you do, that's not probably the typical person that you should go out and marry. But my grandfather, Freddie Passis, he allowed that for some crazy reason, and the rest is history. They've got a beautiful marriage. They planted a wonderful church, and we are a product of that. But what I do want to say is that your heart all those years ago for sending people and for having people to be missional has a great influence that you would never know. We've got kids here, you know, 18, 25. You wouldn't know, but all these years ago from this place, there was a move of God that wanted to send people to go to missions. And so myself and the church that I represent, and I do send my parents greetings, by the way, warm greetings, and my mother's on video all the time wanting to say hello to everybody. So a a warm greeting from my father and my mother. But I want to encourage you today that just having a nurturing environment of mission can make such a profound difference on the earth. And so my mother is one representative of your community and your founding family, or one of your founding families, was sent to a country and she intended to come back and she never did. And from there, a lot of missional work has happened where I would, without exaggerating, where it would be more than hundreds of lives, it would be thousands of lives that have been impacted because that one person was sent. And so I just want to encourage you that times haven't changed. And as I look throughout this room, there are ones in this room that are going to, even if you impact one other one and they are sent or you go yourself, whether it's this community or any other community on this planet, it can make such a profound influence for the gospel. And I'm proof of that as a child of somebody that was sent from this community. And then look at even the legacy. We have three sons. They're growing. My niece is here. My sister is here. And we are all in missions. We are all serving the Lord. And I'm so happy to say that. So I'll give you an example. In my city, we have the nations coming to us. I appreciate we have a brother here from Liberia. Uh, In my community, we have many, many Africans, many, many Asians, many, many from the Middle East, Afghanistan, all these oppressed countries. And for some reason, my city has opened its doors to them. And that's wonderful. No matter what our political thoughts are on that, the reality is they're in my city and it's a wonderful opportunity to love. So I love to see, for example, my, my second born child here. He spends his Saturday afternoons with children from refugee backgrounds, so mainly from Syria, actually, who don't have English, and he'll sit, or or developing English, and he'll sit with them and just play with them and just spend time with them every Saturday afternoon. And I look at that and I think, you know, that might not be changing the world, but isn't it great to see the generations just serving the Lord in the most simple of ways? And I know that in this community of Lacey, even though my knowledge of this community is very limited, I know that your opportunity is to have a profound influence. I know that you are already starting and you're already doing, and I'm just here to encourage you today that perhaps you've only just scratched the surface of what is in the future. And, uh, and by the way, I was just so encouraged with the announcements, not so much that they weren't up on the screen and that they came in, via a person like it used to be in the old days, but uh, I'm so encouraged by the, the content of those announcements where I think two-thirds of the announcements were about prayer. Isn't that wonderful? And uh, I just want to encourage you that I'm, I totally believe that this next move of God is birthed in prayer. And may God bless your prayer. You know, and let's be realistic. Prayer meetings are not as exciting as other meetings. 
as far as your emotions being moved, although they can be, um, but not typically. (laughs) That awkward silence while you're waiting for the next person to pray, and then when you're finished, who says amen and you know, do you actually say amen and is that the final amen or is that the amen on the prayer that you've just said? And then you look to the pastor and he's, oh, he's getting right into it and you're thinking, all right, we need to keep going. There's all that awkwardness, but in the midst of that, there's the power of God to see communities changed. And if I could share a testimony in our town, and this is all developing. You know, like we've sat in conferences where somebody's done amazing things and thousands of people have been impacted I can't bring that today but what I can bring are those little pockets of God stuff that's happening in local communities and hopefully that will just be relatable to you and you can be encouraged so in our town we've got a prayer movement that's fledgling it's wonderful and so we we had like 40 people from different churches just come to a little room and start praying together for our city for revival for unity just two real simple prayer needs, unity, revival. We just stick to that. Don't get onto anything else. And then we said, okay, this is working well. We'll try it again. And the next one, I think we had like 140 or 200 people from the churches just come and pray. And we actually find it now. And this is about 18 months worth. And this is not just our church. These are probably seven or eight churches, very different churches in our city. We used to fight, but now we pray. It's pretty good. And so we just get together and pray. And and I'm one of the people that helps organise these things. And what I've noticed is we actually find it easier to get people to prayer meetings than to combined worship services. And I love combined worship services, but I wonder whether praying together is even more powerful than, you know, singing and doing other things together. So I'm really encouraged what that may do for our city. Because we come from a city that's, uh, as I said, very multicultural. We have the highest, uh, what you call Muslim, we say Muslim, population per capita in all of Australia. And there are a lot of Muslims in Australia. Uh, And we have the highest concentration of Muslims. And that's another story for another day. But I'm so excited by the opportunity to impact those people because where they come from, you don't talk about Jesus. Where we live, you do. And so how good's that? And so, you know, politically I'm thinking, well, if they come, whether that's good or whether that's bad, it's great for my town because I get to share the gospel with Muslims from all over the world. So just a few stories from uh, back home. But like I said, I'm not trying to come here and boast and say we're this amazing church and we do these amazing things. We're very, very normal, as you, I think, are very, very normal. But we have an extraordinary God who can do extraordinary things in our community. And that's the message that I really want to come and encourage you and reinvigorate, if that's required, uh, reinvigorate you with today, this guy with a funny accent. Hopefully it encourages you. So, you know, I've been to the conferences and perhaps you have where they come and I belong to an organisation called MFI. I notice on my cousin Steve's wall, he belongs, well, I knew anyway, but he belongs to the same organisation, a collection of ministers that relate together. My uncle Earl... Uh, it's pretty cool because we have all these like uh, what we call bigwig speakers, you know, the people that are on the circuit and they come across to Australia. And I don't, I'm not denigrating them, they're lovely people. We've had dinner with them and very sincere, but you know, they, they do these big works and they come across and I say, well, I'm Earl Bradley's nephew and they get all enthused by that. Oh, I know Earl, and off they go. And uh, so we belong to that and there's that connection to America. 
But, you know, sometimes we go to these conferences and these, these guys that are amazing men and women of God, they've grown these big inner city churches and they're reaching, you know, and they've got people that are celebrities and in Hollywood and on NBA teams and they're tweeting and they're, you know, pictured with famous people and I'm there sitting thinking, that's not the world I live in. I don't know anyone famous. I don't know anyone influential. I'm just a little guy in a little town. And while I bless them and I'm thanking the Lord for what he's doing, what about us? What about the little guy? What about the people that are in the real world, non-Twitter, non-celebrity, non-impactful at that grander scale? What about us? And so I'm just so encouraged that God still has a plan for this kind of thing. And he hasn't given up on community and he hasn't given up on smaller churches impacting their own community where I believe the larger churches can't. And again, my, the purpose of this talk is not to run down larger congregations. We're all in the one kingdom. We, we cheer each other on. But I want to encourage you today that we have a niche and it's not a leftover, you know, the, what do you call it, doggy bag or to-go pack from a restaurant type niche. This is not the leftovers niche. This is front row centre niche. This is important niche. This is where God wants us niche. And it's for us and it's powerful, it's palatable and you can be a part of it. And that's the cool thing about smaller communities is you get to have a bite of the cherry. You get to have a bite of the pie. And so do I. And so my impact and your impact together as community can change that which we are in the middle of. And so you might not even get to Olympia from here in Lacey, but I'm here to tell you that you can definitely impact Lacey, Washington, the place where my mother comes from. And I'd be so excited to see the influence of this church and other Lacey churches as you unite in Christ grow. I heard a story about a fellow, and he um, it's a terrible story, but to honour my uh, uncle's legacy, I want to try and tell you this joke. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, he decided that he needed to chop a lot of wood at home and he was getting a bit old, so he went to the chainsaw shop and he said, look, give me your, your, your best. And, and the salesman said, well, here's this one, you know, it, uh, it uh, can saw 100 cords of wood in a day. He goes, fantastic, I'll take it. So he gets there the first day, he gets to about lunchtime and he's only got through three cords of wood. He's very, very frustrated. He thinks, maybe it's just me, we'll give it another go tomorrow. The next day it's worse and so he goes back to the store to complain. He says, look, I, I'm using this thing. It's not working properly. There's something wrong. And the salesman says, well, let me have a look at it. And he goes, Vroom, and he starts it up. And the fella says, what's that noise? <laughs> I told you it was going to be bad. <laughs> but it's a bit like that with our churches. We forget that we have the power, right? You know, as Pentecostal churches as churches that believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, as churches that believe in the power of the gospel, we have that power. However, it seems like you know, we observe America and we know Australia and there's a lot of similarities even though things are different. It seems like in the Christian church, fear is starting to crowd out the power that we have. So what are our fears? Well, maybe our fears are that we have to have more money to get big. Maybe our fears are that we have to be like the big guys to do what we need to do. We have to copy somebody else. Maybe our fear is just that, you know, 
And I see a lot of fear in this country about getting sick and you're not allowed to touch this product and this and this and, and there's almost an obsession with staying away from things rather than what do we need to go towards. And I know the scriptures, they tell us, uh, for example, and you know this scripture if you've been around church for a while. If you haven't, I hope it's just as powerful as those that have. And I want to acknowledge my Aunt Jeannie who gave me this very professional looking Bible because I'm working out of my smartphone for the last seven weeks and I don't like to preach from a smartphone, but 2 Timothy chapter 1. Don't you like the size of this? It makes me look like I know what I'm doing. <laughs> Verse 6 and 7, Timothy's reminded by Paul to, to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on, on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. You see, that chainsaw just needs to be started up. We've got so much power. And sometimes I wonder whether as churches we're sawing the wood without the chainsaw being fired up. But Timothy is told here, you know, we've not been given a spirit of fear. And it's almost like prophetically you can see a spirit of fear on this nation. So much fear, so much division that's coming into this nation, so much distraction and if I could be a messenger from a foreign land, not coming here to put down, but coming here to remind you that God has given you a spirit of power. God has given, and that has not changed. Despite the political climate, whether it's good or bad, whether you believe in Republican or Democrat, and we get all that stuff over there, even in our news, we're aware of some of the divide. In fact, we're, we're very aware of the divide. Please vote, but that's another thing. That's nothing to do with the spirit of power that we have. We've got that whether politics are good or whether politics are bad. And this spirit of fear that's coming across this nation where everything's bad for you, everything. You don't know what I'm allowed to touch. So I just figure I don't know, I'll just touch everything. <laughs> but, um, you know, what this food and that food and this polystyrene and you don't touch this and you don't touch that give me a break we have a spirit of power not fear and all this stuff that's coming against and helicopter parents hanging over their children so they won't get sick who cares if they get sick we've got a spirit of power and we live in a spirit of power despite the culture despite the cultural restrictions that are coming in on Americans holding them down dividing them and paralyzing them with fear sorry Aunt Jeannie lovely Bible but Earl told me, told me you're allowed to thump the Bible when you're making a point. You know, despite all those things, the scriptures have not changed. And the power and the truth of those scriptures have not changed. We live by a spirit of power. And you have that spirit of power within the community of Lacey, or if you're a visitor within whatever community you're here representing. We carry that spear, uh, that power, and we reject that fear in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Please turn to James chapter 2. Verse 2, and I want to talk about the anti-church church, and I'll explain what that means. Could I please grab a water, Zach? Once you start thumping the Bible, you need water. <laughs> Thank you. After some of the water we've been drinking, I'm thankful for this water. <laughs> we've been on the road for a long time, so countries like Thailand, Malaysia, Spain, Mexico... Is Atlanta a country? We went there. <laughs> and uh, now we're in God's country. All right. So James chapter 2, verse 2. I want to make you think a little bit here. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man 
in filthy clothes and you say, pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place and say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him. Now, the purpose of my chat today is to encourage you and draw you in to to show you what the niche of this congregation is in this community. And it starts in these scriptures. And you you can see as I read this, this is the anti-church church. Now, I've heard stories from people who know, people that mix with big people, not people like me who went to Polo Factory Outlet yesterday to get his shirt because he didn't have any shirt that was close to church standard while being on vacation. In fact, you're lucky I'm not in a tank top or a singlet uh, preaching today. So we went down to Polo and I found the cheapest shirt I could find. And so if it's a little bit bright on the eye, I apologise for that, but it was only $14.99 and uh, I can... (laughs) I can be presentable today. But uh, some, some, I've talked to some people who are at a different level, and you know, some of the churches are getting to be what this is telling us we shouldn't be. And you've got people sitting in the front row only because of their asset base, not because of anything else. And the power of celebrity and the power of money and the power of influence and the power of growth is rooted in this kind of money game that's uh, coming into the Western church. And that really, really scares me. But what really, really excites me is what the scriptures tell us about what our niche is and should be. And it tells us there that it doesn't matter about our wealth levels or our status or what the church considers, uh, sorry, what popular prevailing opinion considers to be important or elevated What it's about is the lowest common denominator. The person that has the least has the most in the kingdom of heaven. And so I've been pondering this for years. And even though I'm totally switched off in vacation mode, this stuff brings me alive when I think about the power of ministering to the least of these. And and I'm not suggesting this is just about the homeless. We don't want to limit the word of God to that. But I'm also aware that in your communities now, this homeless problem is just off the charts. I mean, I come here every 10 years or so, and it's just crazy, not only in the city, but in the communities like here as well. Just the number of people that that have nothing and are out in the streets is astounding. But like I said, I don't want to limit these scriptures to just those, although of course it includes those. But we're thinking about people that are not like us, people that we, we don't really want in our front seats, but in the economy of God, they deserve to be there. Yeah. And so this, this is really good stuff because it goes against where some of where the church is going right now. And so I want to, in the time I have remaining, start to encourage us to rethink what the church is about and why we're here. Yeah. And it excites me, even though potentially the tithes will be down, the influence will be up. And then, of course, the tithes take care of themselves anyway. So... There's a time to show a new type of favoritism, which is old school type of favoritism. It's the favoritism that James told us 2,000 years ago was a type of favoritism that's needed. And you know, it's not just the recent church that's forgotten this type of favoritism. There's plenty of examples in church history 
when you walk into cathedrals that you think, oh my goodness, you know, dripping in gold. We've got away from the scriptures, but it's not a recent thing. But this anti-favoritism, favoritism, old school favoritism, is to favor that which has the least. And I know in your community there are people that are different to you that have the least that we are to favor. And that's our niche as a local community is that we have the opportunity to favor those that don't receive favor anywhere else or in very few places. That is the niche of this church here in Lacey, Washington. Please turn with me to Leviticus chapter 19. You see this favoritism, I said it was old school. And in fact, we have a friend, don't we, in Olympia that has a pizza place called Old School Pizza with the old Sonics posters, Jack Sigma. You remember those days, Mark, when you took a young, precocious cousin to the NBA games? And uh, I'm about to pay out on Starbucks soon because they took our Sonics away. And we've got nothing in common now with the rest of the family now that the Sonics have been taken away. It's like, what do we do now? Oh, Seahawks. That'll be the next best thing. But, uh, you know, this, there's this old school favoritism. It doesn't just come from James in the new way, in the New Testament. It goes all the way back to the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. If we get back to Leviticus chapter 19, I want to read to you some old school favoritism, the godly type of favoritism that we need. It says here, The stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers... In the land of Egypt, I am the Lord, your God. Now, that's profound. And I don't know if you enjoy reading Levitical law and just churning through the scriptures. You know, a lot of us, if we have a reading plan, we press fast forward when we get to Leviticus. You know, on the, uh, the smartphones now, you can make the, the guy that reads to you, you can kind of put him to 1.7 or 2, as fast as he can go that you can actually understand. Just do that in Leviticus to get through the boring bits. Is anyone guilty of that? Just confess now before your priest, anyone? Uh, but I'm telling you that some of this stuff is gold in the midst of what is seemingly a boring book. And if you read that, that's profound. Read it again. The stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you. And you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. In other words, you should know what it's like because you were that guy once upon a time. I want you to think about something. What were you before you were a saint? What was I before I was a saint? I don't know about you, but I was a sinner. And I've met people, and I can't say this because I'm a pastor's kid that was a, what we call a goody-goody all of my life. But I know that even goody-goodies have a life of sin that they need to repent of and come to Jesus, right? But I've met people in our church that had PhDs in sinning. We have, for example, murderer or murderers, in our church, all kinds of crazy people that have crazy stories. They're really good at sinning. But that's who we were, right? Okay, now there's a new breed of sin coming into the earth. Lots of people are sinning in new ways. They're inventing, or really, not really, but we're noticing that there are lots of sinners that are not doing old school sinning. It seems to be new school sinning. And the millennials are sinning in new ways and, and they're doing things that we're thinking, we don't want to have anything to do with these people. Strangers in our context... And what's Leviticus encouraging us to do? Treat them as if they're one of your own. Now, I'm not suggesting we overlook sin. Please hear me carefully. That's not my message today. We are in the need of a saviour. We're all going to hell 
to be punishment for our sins unless we have a saviour. I believe in that message as much as I've ever believed in it. But what I do understand is that we live in a context where a lot of sinners that we need to invite in and we need to look after and we need to show favouritism to above the rich man. You see what I'm trying to say? So in my context, I will give you some hot potato sinners. And please excuse me, I'm not here to offend, but let, let me just tell you a few. One, Muslims in my context. And I can come here as a visitor and say anything I want. So here, within reason, before he takes me off with a shepherd's crook. But uh, okay, Muslims. I know in your media, there's a lot of talk about that. Now, again, I'm not here to be political, but I know that just like me, they're in need of a saviour. True? All right. LGBTI community. Now, we know there's a lot of arguments about marriage and, you know, judging that people and all that sort of stuff. You can work that out yourself, and it's a tough thing to work out. But one thing I know is that they, as I, am in need of a saviour. Could they have my front row at my church if they were looking for a saviour? If they were needing favouritism? I think I need to favour somebody who chooses that lifestyle. And I could go on, but you get the message of what I'm trying to say. It goes all the way to Leviticus. Treat them as one of your own. Now, I'm not, again, not saying overlook sin and accept you know, lifestyles and all that, people need to find a saviour, but my home is open to you. My church is open to you. My community is open to you. I will pray for you. I will serve you. I will love you. I will do what you need to see the love of Christ. You may not be able to pay me anything. You may abuse me. You may put me down. You may never fill that front row with your fancy rings and your high tithes, but I will love you because my God tells me to, and I want to, because he's filled me with your spirit. That's the niche in community. You can do that because it's personal. And I'm all for social media and all that sort of stuff. But one-on-one and community on a community, you can do that right here. You are doing that right here and it's the best thing. Let me take you to the book of Acts and you see this narrative, this thread that goes through the scriptures of the weirdos and the have-nots and the aliens being looked after by the church. And in Acts chapter 6, and I, I might just talk about it, we see that the Greek widows are being discriminated against. It's like what we've just been talked about. There was others receiving favoritism. And what was happening was that the apostles were trying to work this out and then they, they this is how deaconing started. But the thing I want to tell you in the midst of this is that it was the have-not Greek widows that got the church active. It was actually the disputes. It was actually the people that were being not favoured. That was when they figured that out. That's when the church got rolling. That's when the apostles got into their groove. You see, Jesus had taught them so well to be servants that they were waiting on tables. They were happy to be nobodies. But God had a higher call. And don't get me wrong, waiting on tables is the best call. But for those guys, those apostles, they had a different call and a higher call to preach the gospel. And it was actually discrimination that got them active. So please, if you have trouble in the church and fights in the church, don't run away from that because the book of Acts, it was when the fight was on that the church started to grow. So please understand that disputes can be good. You've got a lot of disputes going on in your country. Who knows? Something could be birthed out of all these disputes if the Christians run it the right way. And so when trouble comes to this church, and I don't know what's been going on. Steve, and I, Steve hasn't been briefing me on this church, but I'm sure that you've had internal conflict just like the book of Acts had. And if you had, praise the Lord. Wonderful. Bring it on. Because when the conflict starts, then the growth can happen if you deal with it the right way. In the book of Acts, the apostles are trying to sort it all out and say, hey, 
Why don't we get the deacon? We'll start some deaconing. We'll get that going on. You mean we don't have to wipe tables anymore? No, no, go preach. It was racism and favoritism that got the church started. Yet we want to, oh, don't talk about it. You know, just be politically correct. Open it up. Talk about it. Talk about how love breaks through racism. Black lives matter. Of course they matter. In the gospel, everyone matters. I can say that as a foreigner. You know, they've got all these causes and all that. Let's open it up in the church and discuss it. And from there, the gospel can explode. Let's talk about homosexuality. Let's talk about black, white. Let's, not as in trying to work it out politically, but as in what does the Bible say about loving our neighbour and loving the alien and talking about the power of the gospel that will break through the biggest cultural divides that you have. And then the gospel is released into the city of Lacey. Hallelujah, because that's how it happened in the church. And I'm telling you that sometimes we're a bit slow. Even the apostle Peter, he was embroiled in this dispute in Acts chapter 6. And I've written it down here and I better read it because I'm out of practice. But here's what happened. In Acts chapter 8, Samaritans are saved. And he's seen that. In Acts chapter 10, he stays with a tanner who's a, um, like an unclean person. But he still needs the vision of a sheet of unclean animals to wake himself up to love the stranger. And he'd already started the progression, Acts 6, Acts 8, Acts 10, to being outside of his own cultural context of who am I to love? Yeah, just the rich guy in the front row. James tells us that's easy. Even the apostle Peter needed waking up to actually love the Gentile, to love the uncircumcised, to love the alien, to love the weirdo, to love the poor person, to love the person that looks completely different to me and so I'm a white or sort of Australian (laughs) sports loving Aussie and yes there are a number of us that are in that category but I noticed in my town these days that most people are not like me how many people can I love and send to Jesus it's wonderful so many strangers what a great life I have and what a great life you have too because there's a lot of people in your community that are not like you I can guarantee it, even though I've only been here for two days, I can guarantee that most people are not like you, wonderful candidates to reach out with the gospel. Isn't that brilliant? So if you don't leave here today happy, you never will. Because what I'm telling you is that all this divide is the opportunity for the gospel. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. And I'm excited about it. It's enough to almost come back and see what's going on in the city of Lacey and actually get onto the golf course this time with my wonderful cousin Steve, who lives on a golf course. If I had known that, I would have put two more days into our itinerary to make sure we got on there. So we can help the unlovable. We can help them, despite our insecurities, our fears, wanting to look professional, to uphold our reputation. But in Australia, we say we're we're battlers, what you'd say is battlers. And that doesn't mean we, we fight in wars. It just means we're, what does that mean? We're just strugglers, we're just poor, we're just less than us. Like, we started as a convict nation. Like, the, the British sent their least to us. They, couldn't, they ran out of opportunity in America, so they said, the next worst is Australia. <laughs> and that's how we started. And they sent their worst people to us. That's our, that's our heritage. It's embarrassing. But I'm telling you that we have a chance to reverse that. We're just battlers, and so it helps to embrace that stranger. And I hope it does for you too. I'm going to conclude with a story, and I'm sorry if this is a little bit meandering, but I hope you get the prevailing message. I really hope you do. That your niche is love, 
not to accept everything, but to love everything and love everyone. And the gospel, the power of the gospel, the power of the gospel, which is as much today as what it's ever been. That's the prevailing message. And I want to conclude with a story that will help you understand. And I told you I was going to put Starbucks down, so now's my opportunity. And I am a hypocrite because it was the only coffee shop open yesterday and I had a sip of my wife's coffee. But I I swore that I'd never drink Starbucks again after Howard Schultz sold the Sonics to Oklahoma. So this is my little way of getting back at him. And this one has an Australian flavour to the story, so I really like it. Because, you know, Australians hate Starbucks, and this is proof, okay? I actually Googled it this morning, and it comes from CNBC, if I'm allowed to say those four letters, and it says this, Starbucks didn't fit Australians' tastes. The company serves sweeter coffee options than Australians prefer, all the while charging more than the local cafes. In the first seven years in Australia, Starbucks accumulated $105 million in losses. <laughs> in my country. So in your face, Howard Schultz. My country will get back at you on my, on my behalf. You taping this? Don't, no libels or anything. And it forced the company to close, not open, and you see where they're opening everywhere, to close 61 stores in my country. They failed. And so when we travel to America, it's really cool. Because I want to tell you something, and this is really a badge of shame, not a badge of honour, that um, Australians are coffee snobs. And I I don't want to be rude to my host. We actually had a really nice coffee with Aunt Jeannie. And I'm not just saying that so she likes me. It was quite nice. But when we're paying for coffee, not just having it at home, we're really coffee snobs. You know what a snob is, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, like, our nose is up in the air. Everything else, we're normal, but with coffee... We're snobs. We're that guy in the front row with a gold ring, I can tell you. And, um, and so my wife, when we're in America, our quest is to find a coffee that is really good. Not like Starbucks, but really good. And so we've had some success. Actually, in Atlanta, Georgia, we found a place that was just, I, I have to say, it was the best I've ever had in your country. So you can find these places, but you've got to do your research. But the reason, and here's the point of the story, the reason that Starbucks closed in Australia, and by the way, they're only open in the tourist areas where non-Australians go in my country, like an airport or Sydney Harbour or something like that. But the reason that it closed is because it was big. You got me? The reason that it closed is because it was big, too big. And they said, oh, the coffee's too sweet in that article. Yeah, well, that's one factor, but the, the real factor is coffee chains don't work in Australia. You've got Hudson's, that's kind of meh. You've got uh, Gloria Jeans, which is dying, going you know, south very fast. I can't tell you a coffee chain that has success in Australia. You want to know what has success in Australia? Like the one across the road there that we're going to go to after the service. They roast their own one, and that's just their shop. They don't have anything else. It's your mum and dad or son coffee shops because you have the intimacy, you have the care, you have the correct bean, the correct product, you have like the fascination with getting it right and serving just a small community of loyal customers that will keep you going well. That's what works in Australia. And if I took you to my, the capital city of my state, I said to somebody, if you walk into the middle of the city, you will have probably 300 coffee options within a, uh, probably actually 600 coffee options within a one mile radius. And I'm not joking. You can Google it. Google coffee in Melbourne, inner city. My sister will vow for this. 
as an aficionado herself. Why? Because the little guy can have a proper connection and he'll get it right. Relationships is where it's at. Okay, so let's bring that back to what I'm saying in this message to conclude. And thank you so much for listening to me today. I hope you've understood my accent. I'm not quite as bad as Crocodile Dundee. (laughs) I can speak like that, but I'm interpreting myself into almost legible English. But what I can tell you is that our church, it's the same thing. You know, yes, there are the hill songs and the, what's the one here? Um, And Bethel, that's the one I was looking for. And, And again, I'm not putting them down. But where it's at, I believe, in this new age of people wanting genuineness and authenticity is local community churches that might muck up the announcements and nothing against the guys, but, you know, and I'm sure it happens at Hillsong, but that's the kind of stuff that we do messy or a wrong chord and and what a beautiful worship team that you have, but I'm sure they don't always hit the right chords and what they practice doesn't happen like it should. But you know what? That's real. My marriage is not perfect. My sermons are not perfect. My kids are not perfect, especially that one of them. <laughs> That's the real world we live in. But we're getting it right because we really love this place. It's small and we can work on it and we can make a great impact in the community. So goodbye Starbucks from Australia and hello authentic coffee. And may I say the same for this place? May I say the same? The worst thing that could happen to Lacey is a big, big church and all you guys suffer while everybody leaves here and goes there. That's Starbucks mentality, but I'm here to tell you that your own little coffee shop here, and by the way, it's not that little, but you know what I mean, like a a smaller, more uh, artesian, uh, organic, uh, genuine place, that is your niche, to love the unlovable, to proclaim the gospel as strongly as it's ever been claimed, proclaimed, yes, in culturally relevant ways, social media, all that stuff that you guys know, But that's your niche and it works and it's working for us slowly but surely. We're doing good things. We're not there yet, but we know that's where we need to go. While we pray, while we get it right, that's your niche. It's going to work. Be encouraged and fire up for Jesus. May it go well for you. Yeah. Thank you. Now, I know that your service concludes around this time, in fact, a little bit after, uh, before, so my apologies for going slightly over, but can I take the liberty for those that can stay to be able to pray for people would be my pleasure and my, my passion to pray for you in this area. And I was thinking, where could I pray? And, and I thought of two things. One is that a fresh commitment to love those that are difficult to love and to share the gospel when permission is given. I would love to pray for people who want to make a fresh commitment to do that in this place. And so if that's for you, please, I don't know how you do it, whether you come forward or I come to you, it doesn't really matter. As long as we're praying together, I would love to do that. And then the second thing is just a practical thing. So that's a, like a more a principle thing. And yes, it turns into the practical. But another thing is your church serves the community in, in ways already. And it needs people to get involved in those ways. I don't know what they are. Please talk to Steve and your leaders later. But there may be some people here that are not involved in reaching community in the nets that you have, the fishing nets that you have. So I know my cousin is, you know, working with the police and doing community stuff there. That's an example of what he may be doing and others are doing. If you're not involved in one of those things that reaches community, 
In fact, I don't even need to pray for you. I'll pray, I'll pray a general prayer, but just go do that, please. If you're a Jesus follower, put up your hand, come and see your leaders and say, you know what, I, I want to do something. I bet you watch more television than the volunteering that you're going to do anyway. Sorry to be rude, but you know we're, we're good at doing other things, so just do that, please. Can you do that? Please just let me talk you into doing that. Go see Steve, go see a leader and say, I just want to be involved. Even just give them a little bit. Make a start, that's fine. Do something. And I'm going to pray for that and then I'm going to ask people to come. Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity that I've had to share with this precious congregation. We pray that this message would go to our women who are not able to be with us as well and others that that perhaps are at home because of uh, logical reasons. Lord, we pray this message would go to them as well in the spirit. And Father, my prayer, just practically, is that those in this congregation would be active, those that are dormant, those that have latent gifts that are just sitting there waiting to be exercised. Father, my prayer is that you would fan into flame that gift that we read about for Timothy. Lord, that would be the case for those in this room. And Lord, (laughs) being a little bit bold, but I'm just asking people, just go volunteer. Get involved in something that is a net designed to catch fish in this wonderful community of Lacey. Father, may there be further activation of the gifts of God for reaching the community, for reaching the unloved, the unlovable, the poor, the alien, that different person to us. Father, may people that are not yet doing that be doing that today as a result of your Spirit's prompting in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. I'd like to invite, again, just casually, just come forward if you'd like to pray with me. It'd be my honour to pray for you. I'm not very good at many things, but this is my thing, you know. So there's an anointing when I pray for you. I want to tell you that I don't have this great, amazing gift. But in in this area, it's my thing. It's what God's gifted me for. And so when you come and pray, I can assure you that I have a gift and God is big. So for those two reasons, there's going to be power in those prayers. So if you would like to come forward, please come forward. We'll pray together in cooperation and heaven will be moving. And over to you, Steve. Thank you. Please come forward if you'd like to pray. Thank you for listening to City Life Church Podcast. 